Hello, welcome to the podcast at Chesbro Baptist Church. We're continuing in our series called Advent, the Unexpected King. The title of the message this morning is When Mom and Dad Take a Stand. Please enjoy. Hebrews chapter 11, if you have your places in your Bible, one last time, let me invite you to stand and respect and reverence the Word of God. We're just going to read one verse this morning. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. I struggled a lot with the title of this message, and uh, we're going to put the title as when, a, when Mom and Dad Take a Stand. So let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Word of God. Thank you so much for this season. Thank you for what it means. Thank you for giving us a place where we can gather and we can worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords here. We're not here, Lord, out of obligation. We're not here just just to fill time, Lord. We are here to worship you. Thank you for all the many blessings you've done with us. Be with this message. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. may be seated. Now, last week we talked about Isaac, and we talked about how God promised Abraham that he would make of him a great nation and that through Isaac this great nation would come and he would have so many descendants and the nation would be so great that all the nations of the world will be influenced and blessed by this nation. God promised Abraham three separate times that he would have Isaac. And even though Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old, God still kept his promises. It was a miraculous birth, just like the birth of Christ with the Virgin Mary was a miraculous birth. Isaac was born in a miraculous way. Isaac had a son, one particular son named Jacob. Jacob went on to have 12 sons. One of Jacob's sons was a man by the name of Joseph. Joseph was a very, very special person. Joseph was loved by his father and envied of his brothers. So much that that they wanted to kill Joseph. But instead they threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery. But even though they meant it for evil, God meant it for good. The Lord meant it for good. And through the providence and sovereignty of God, through him being sold into slavery into Egypt, he rose up through the ranks to become prime minister over the entire land of Egypt. But then there came a famine in the land. And so the famine came into the land, but God had providentially let Joseph know that the famine was coming. In fact, that's what he was there to do, was to prepare for this famine that would come. So when the famine come and the world ran out of food, the only person who had food was Joseph in Egypt. 
So Jacob sent his sons down to Egypt to get food uh, from the Egyptians. And while he was down there, Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. Joseph began to test his brothers to see if they had changed. He began to test them to see if they were repentant, if they were sorrowful. And when Joseph recognized the change in his brothers, that's when he revealed himself. When he began to weep, he embraced his brothers. He said, bring my dad down to the land of Egypt. Y'all come down here. I've got plenty of food. And, and we're just going to live together here in the land of Egypt. So Jacob packed up his house and went to Egypt. And the Bible says that when the Hebrews went into Egypt, they were 70 in number. Now I want you to think about that number 70. We fit more than 70 people in this room at the same time. We fit over 100 people. So, so Jacob's family could fit inside the room that you're in right now. Now, I want to let you know that under Pharaoh, Joseph was, in, was, was for all intents purposes, he was king over the land of Egypt. He lived in the palace. He had all the money. He had all the wealth. He had all the servants he could wish for. He was the second most powerful man in the entire world at that time. But yet, even as the leader of the land of Egypt, even as the prime minister of Egypt, even of all the things he could do, all the things that he could influence, there was one thing that Joseph could not change about the Egyptians. There was one thing that no matter how Joseph, how hard Joseph tried, he could not change this one thing about the Egyptians. And that was that the Egyptians believed in racial superiority. You see, the, the Egyptians believed that they were just better than everybody else. And so it, it, it was to the point to where when Joseph is introducing his, his brethren to the Pharaoh and introducing them to the Egyptians, he said, don't tell them you're shepherds. Tell them you're something else. Tell them, tell them you're this over here, but don't tell them you're shepherds. Because the Egyptians looked down as shepherds as dirty and smelly and the Bible says in, in Genesis uh, 43:32, so they served him by himself and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is loathsome to the Egyptians. You see, the, the Egyptians didn't even want to eat at the same table with the Hebrews. They wanted to comp uh, keep completely separate from the Hebrews, even to the point that when the Hebrews moved down, now this is the family, the prime minister. Even when the family moved to Egypt, they sequestered the, the, the Hebrews and they put them in the land of Goshen. And they said, we don't want to eat at the same table with you. Uh, we'll let you in our land, but we don't want to live next door to you. You're going to go to the land of Goshen. So this, this Egyptian racism and this Egyptian su racial superiority was a deep embedded fixture in Egyptian society. They couldn't eat at the same table. They couldn't live next door. They made them land in the, live in the land of Goshen. But see, here's the thing. Our God is an amazing God. Let me tell you how amazing our God is. Our God has the ability to take the haters of God. Our God has the ability to take the haters of the people of God and use them for his will. He has the ability to do this. He has the ability to take the people that defy him and use them for his will. See, God took the hate of a man named Esau. 
and used it to craft a man named Jacob into a man named Israel who would lead over the nation of God's people. God took the hate of 11 brothers and through the hate of 11 brothers formed and forged a man named Joseph who would be the leader of Egypt and save the, 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 the world. God took the hate of a bad king named King Saul and through the hate of King Saul crafted a young man named David and turned him into one of the greatest kings that Israel had ever seen. God took the hatred and envy of the religious leaders and they crucified a man named Yeshua. And in doing so, they exalted him to the throne of the universe and allowed him to pay for salvation for all of us. And this situation is no different. Even if you defy the Almighty God, He can still use that person for His purposes because God is on the throne. He is in charge of this thing. Make no mistake, He is steering the ship. And so the racism and racial superiority showed to the Hebrews, did you know this is actually what helped them become a great nation? This is actually what helped them. The, the, the Egyptians' racial superiority actually helped the Hebrews become a great nation. You see, because they were 70 in number. So as they're in Canaan, no doubt they would have intermarried with the Canaanites. And the Hebrews would have just been absorbed into the Canaanite culture and absorbed into the Canaanites around them. But you see, God knew this, and through the providence of God, God brought them to the land of Egypt where they couldn't intermarry. And the only choice they had was to marry other Hebrews. And that is how God grew them into the nation that they were, thus fulfilling a promise to Abraham. Now, in Exodus chapter 1, we are told about a Pharaoh who did not know the name of Joseph. He did not know who Joseph was, but he looked around and he saw these Hebrews and he said, Whoa, this is a problem. This is a problem. This nation is getting bigger. These people are getting big, uh, bigger. One day, uh, they're going oh, to overtake us. They're going to revolt. They're going to take over our nation. So what did he decide to do? He decided to enslave them. He appointed taskmasters over them. He afflicted them with hard labor, thinking at the end of the day they'll be too tired to revolt. But it didn't work. Because over 430 years, the nation of Israel grew from a group of 70 people to over 2 million people. And that is possible for that to happen. Over 2 million Hebrews. So that didn't work. So now more desperate measures have got to be taken. So what Pharaoh did is he ordered that all male baby Hebrews be thrown in the Nile River and drown. And you be careful of a government that turns against its infants. You be careful of a government that turns against its own babies because that's what's going on. And really, this is, this is where our story starts. Our story starts right here because, you see, of Joseph's brothers that came down of these 11 brothers, there was one brother by the name of Levi. Levi was the patriarch of the tribe of his own name. The Levites are a very important part 
of Israel. They are a very important tribe in the nation of Israel. And one of the greatest Levites who ever lived was the Savior of Israel from Egypt and a picture of our ultimate Savior. And this man's name was Moses. I want to let you know that Moses is a titan in your Bible. Of the 66 books in your Bible, Moses is mentioned in 31 of them. You know, there are 792 verses in the Bible with the name Moses. 713 of them are in the Old Testament and 79 of them are in the New Testament. Did you know that there are liberal scholars and there are progressive pastors in our nation today that are teaching that Moses is a myth? They're teaching that Moses didn't really exist and that Moses is a myth and you can't point to any evidence that Moses was even here. So they don't even read about Moses and they skip over scripture about Moses. And I want to tell you today that if you take Moses out of your Bible, you won't have much of a Bible left because he is in most of the Bible Not only did Moses write the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Word of God, but he also wrote the first song in Scripture. We know this song from Revelation 15. We know this song is being sung in heaven now, will be sung at the end of time. We know that Moses is one of only two people that came back from beyond at the Mount of Transfiguration. We know this about Moses. We know that once again, before this world is over, in Revelation, he's coming back again one last time. And this is a great man that God gave us. This is a great man that walked on the earth. And as we explore this type of Christ this morning, I want to show you where it all began and began with the faith of a mom and dad. It began with the faith of a mom and dad. In particular, I want to focus in on a woman named Jochebed. I want to focus in on Jochebed today. Most of of who Moses became can be attributed to this woman of faith named Jochebed. And what I want to do is I'm going to give you three actions this morning. I want to give you three actions that, 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 that Jochebed did that made Moses the person that Moses was supposed to be. So number one this morning, Jochebed had him. Jochebed had him. Had him. You see, there were midwives over the Hebrews to help them deliver their babies. Over the midwives were two of the most experienced midwives who trained all the other midwives. These two midwives were called into the Pharaoh's presence. And Pharaoh looked at these two midwives and said, I've got a job for you to do. What I want you to do is when these babies are born, if the baby is male, I want you to tell your midwives to take those babies and throw them into the Nile River and drown them. And that's what I want you to do. And so these midwives went out. But let me tell you something about these midwives. These midwives feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. So they did not obey Pharaoh's command. I don't think that they threw one male Hebrew baby into the river. 
And then when word got back to Pharaoh, Pharaoh called them back again and said, hey, listen, how come you're not doing what I told you to do? And the midwives looked at Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, listen, these Hebrew women, man, there's something else. These Hebrew women are some hardy women, let me tell you. Man, they'll, they'll pop that baby out, and then before we even get there, they've got the baby hid away. There's, there's, no, there's no baby for us to throw out, because by the time we get there, the babies, they've already hidden the baby. Now, that wasn't necessarily the whole truth, but God blessed them. You want to know why? Because they preserved life. God blesses people that preserve life. God blesses people that preserve life. Let me say that a third time. God blesses people who preserve life and God bless them. Ephesians 1 verses 20 and 22 says, So God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and become very mighty because the midwives feared God. He established households for them. Now you see, here's the reason why these midwives were probably midwives to begin with. See, it was very common in the culture of the day that if you could not have a baby of your own, you became a midwife and you helped other people, uh, you helped other people have their babies. So it's a very good possibility that these midwives could not have children of their own. So when the Bible says that God established their household, what that probably means is God gave them the ability to have children of their own because God blesses people who preserve life. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born you are to cast into the Nile River and every daughter you are to keep alive. Now I want you to understand today that Joe, that Pharaoh was not trying to dwindle the population of his slaves. You see, he liked having slaves. He liked people to do all the dirty work. He liked people to do all the hot and sweaty work. He liked people doing the work that nobody else wanted to do. He didn't want to dwindle the number of his slaves because he liked having slaves. What he, if, if he wanted to dwindle the number of his slaves, he would have thrown the, 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 the female babies in the water. What he was trying to do was prevent soldiers from rising up against him. You see, by killing all the male babies, they would not have any soldiers to put into their army. So now he knows he cannot trust the midwives. So now he told, tells everybody. He gives an edict. He passes a decree. And he says, now I'm passing this to every Egyptian. I'm passing this to every Hebrew. Every single person in this kingdom. If a baby is born of the Hebrews that is a male baby, it is your job to take that baby and throw it into the Nile River and drown it. And man, you don't want to know the consequences for going against the edict of Pharaoh. You don't want to know the consequences of not turning in someone who disobeyed the king's edict. But I want to tell you that what Pharaoh was doing went deeper than Pharaoh. You see, there is an evil force behind Pharaoh who is orchestrating this. A great red dragon called Satan. 
Satan was behind the scenes. He was orchestrating Pharaoh. He was pulling the strings. And what this decree actually was is Satan remembered back in the Garden of Eden, God told him that from the seed of woman would come a Messiah, would come a Savior, would come someone who would bruise his head and he would bruise their heel. And he wanted to destroy the Jews because he wanted to stop that man from coming. And that was the real reason why these babies were thrown into the river. You know, Satan tried this again. He tried tried this again and again, all the way up until after Jesus was born, when he influenced Herod to do the same thing, because it was a desperate attempt to keep Jesus from coming to the world. And then I'm very thankful that Satan failed in his efforts. So here we have this dad and this mom. Amram and Jochebed, they have a baby. And I want you to know that this, them having this baby was a tremendous test of their faith. I want to let you know that this couple already had two children. You see, Amram and Jochebed already had two, two children. The first child was a daughter by the name of Miriam, and the second child was a son by the name of Aaron. Now, Aaron was three years old, uh, was three years older than Moses. So you got to ask the question, well, how come Aaron's alive? Well, a couple possibilities. One possibility is that Aaron was born before the edict was given. So that's why he's there. But there's another possibility, too. The second possibility is that Aaron was one of the babies that the midwives saved. And that's really kind of more likely. So they had Miriam. They had Aaron, and now this little baby who would eventually be known as Moses. Now, I'm going to let you know that there are not many women. There are not many women who could raise a family in the difficult circumstances that Jochebed had to face. There are not many women like this, okay? Let me just kind of put into perspective the situation they were in. Imagine, if you will, a little ramshackled hut on the shore of the Nile River. Surrounded by this little ramshackled hut were neighbors who would turn them in in a second to save their own skin. Were neighbors who would turn them in in an instant to make their lives easier. Surrounding this little hut was a government, a government who who, who looked, who was trying to destroy the innocent lives of the infants of this nation. Inside uh, uh, this little hut was inside of a nation of people that considered them less than human. With taskmasters breathing down their necks, Satan and his demons circling the nation of Israel, circling the land of Goshen, ready to devour the nation, to stamp out the nation, to destroy the nation of Israel. All these odds were stacked against this little hut. But yet, out of this little hut came some very important fruit. The first piece of fruit that came out of this little hut was a little girl named Miriam. Miriam grew up to be a prophetess. She's the first prophetess recorded in Scripture. The next piece of fruit that came out of this little hut was a little boy named Aaron. Aaron became the first high priest. 
a picture of Christ in himself. And then number three came little baby Moses. Moses, the emancipator, the lawgiver, the leader of the children of Israel, the prophet of the children of Israel. And I want to tell you that if the fruit of this home does not prove the faith of these parents to you, then nothing will. In fact, these parents, this mom and dad, I'm telling you, I'm talking to you, mom and dad. This mom and dad had so much faith that they were recorded in what me and you lovingly refer to as the hall of faith in the word of God. Let's read our text one last time. Just one verse, Hebrews eleven twenty three. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. I want to tell you today that going against the edict of a wicked, the wicked king of Egypt, going against the edict of Pharaoh is not something to take lightly. But you see, they disregarded the edict of the king because they feared God more. There was a mom and dad that said, I'm not going to murder my little baby. I'm not going to take away this little gift of God. They are not going to obey the tyrannical edict of a wicked king. And because of that, God honored their faith. You see, the hour had struck for the enslaved Hebrews to be emancipated. The prophecy that was given to Abraham that his descendants would be enslaved for 400 years and then freed was about to be fulfilled. And this little nation that Satan and the world wanted to stamp out of existence was about to rise up and change the earth as we know it. And to accomplish his purpose, what did God do? God sent a baby into the world. Isn't that just how God always does it? Anytime that something needs to be changed, anytime that God needs uh, somebody to do a special work for him, you know what God does? God sends a baby into the world. Did you know you have a purpose? And did you know that God said, hey, I've got a job I need someone to do. And on your birthday, God sent a baby into the world. And he would do this again. Hundreds of years later, in a little town called Bethlehem, a baby came into the world that changed everything. What we have here is we have two midwives who, uh, who believed that God was greater than Pharaoh. These two men, wives, they didn't care what their occupation was. God was greater. They didn't care who was in charge of them. God was greater. They didn't care what, what the consequences of their actions would be because God is greater. We have here two parents who believed that God was greater than Pharaoh. It didn't matter what the government said, God was greater. It didn't matter what the culture taught, God was greater. It didn't matter what society thinks is right, God is greater. It didn't matter what the neighbors said. It didn't matter what the officials said. It didn't matter what the Pharaoh said. It didn't matter which way the wind was blowing because God was greater. You listen to me, you listen to me, you listen to me. The Holy Spirit inside of you is greater than Satan.
Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. I want to let you, I want to remind you that every sane piece of legislation on this planet contains the law of Moses. Why? Why? It was because a mom and dad said, you're not going to tell me how to raise my children. It was because a mom and dad said, no, 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 no. You're not going to tell me how to raise my house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So first, Jochebed had him. Then number two, Jochebed hid him. Jochebed hid him. As long as possible, they hid. They hid. Uh, Jochebed and Amram shielded baby Moses from the destructive power and the destructive influence of the world. I want to tell you today that demons were attacking them. Armies surrounded them. Taskmasters enslaved them. Neighbors hounded them. But there were four walls of a little ramshackled shack hut on the shores of the Nile River. And these four little rickety walls of this hut was a barrier that mom and dad said, nothing evil is coming through these walls. I am building a barrier. I am building a, 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 a shield that nothing is going to come through those walls that's going to harm my children. Nothing destructive is going to cross it. Thank God for homes like this. Thank God for moms and dads like this. Whether you're in here today and you don't have children yet or you do have children or you have grandchildren, thank God for parents today that will say nothing is coming in my house that's going to destroy my children. Mom and dad, let me remind you today that outside the walls of your home is a great red dragon that is waiting to devour your children. Right now, outside the walls of your home is a worldly influence that wants to devastate their future. It's a demonic force that wants to tear your kids apart. And it is our job to shield them from these destructive influences for as long as we can. Now listen, I am not telling you to lock your kids up and throw away the key. Although I have children of my own, I I know the temptation of that, okay? I'm not telling you to lock your kids up and throw away the key. I'm also not telling you to teach your kids to put their head in the sand. But mom and dad, what I am reminding you today is that you are the gatekeepers. You are the gatekeepers The world wants to desensitize your children. The world wants to desensitize your children to perversion. The world wants to desensitize your children to pornography. The world wants to desensitize your children to filthy language. Satan wants your kids to think these things are normal, to think these things are right, to think there's nothing wrong with them. I'm not saying your kids can't watch TV, but I am saying they don't need to watch anything that mom and dad doesn't approve of. Man, especially in those early years of development. Those early years are just so important. It's so important for the home to be filled with godliness and goodness and for the character of God to be taught and exemplified and shown. Man, it's such an important, vital time. The sturdier the foundation of a fortress, 
the less likely it is to be captured later on. But mom and dad, there came a time when Amram and Jochebed couldn't protect baby Moses anymore. And I want to tell you a truth. A truth that's hard for you to hear. And as a parent, it's hard for me to hear. There's going to come a time when you can't protect your kids anymore. There's going to come a time when you cannot protect your kids any longer. That time is coming. And that time came for baby Moses. And Amram and Jochebed, they looked at each other and said, well, what are we going to do now? Maybe Jochebed, she sat down and thought for a second and Amram and Jochebed are trying to think of something and maybe Jochebed sat up and said, well, you know, let's, let, let's think about this. And so then they began to recite the oral tradition that had been taught to them by their parents. And while they're reciting this oral tradition, the story of Noah came up. And they, they, they thought about and they remembered how Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And how God had sent, uh, sending judgment on a wicked world and going to destroy the world with water. And thought to themselves, well, how does God protect His people who are condemned to death? How does He protect them from His wrath? He uses an ark. That's what He does. So that's what they did. And that mom and dad made the decision to make a little ark for baby Moses. And they did it a lot the same way that Noah created his ark. They made it out of papyrus and they pitched it with tar and they pitched it to make it waterproof. They placed it in the Nile River. They put it in the reeds. They put baby Moses inside of it and they put the lid on top of that little ark. I want to let you know that while Moses was in that ark, death surrounded Moses. Death completely surrounded Moses inside that ark. And the only thing that separated Moses from death was the ark. Mom and dad, as much as you try, there's going to come a time when you realize that you cannot protect your children from the forces of death. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. There are three arcs mentioned in Scripture. All three arcs are a picture of Christ because He is the only thing that stands between us and death is the person of Jesus Christ. Mom, Dad, one day you're not going to be able to protect your children anymore. One day you've got to let them go. One day you're going to have to surrender that responsibility to the only one who can protect them. You're going to have to surrender that responsibility solely to the Lord because in the end we can't save our children. Only He can. But I want to tell you today, if you commit your kids to Christ now, when you throw them out into the world, He can protect them outside the confines of the four walls of your home. He can protect them. So Jochebed had him. Jochebed hit him. And number three this morning, Jochebed held him. Jochebed held him. You know, some people believe in coincidences. I'm not one of them. 
I don't believe in coincidences. When I open my Bible and it opens to the exact verse that I want to say, I say, thank you, Lord. It's just my little quirk. It's what I do because I don't believe in coincidences. But I want to tell you today that no quote unquote coincidence is ever more, has ever changed the world more than the circumstances that surrounded the delivery of baby Moses. We all know the story. You see, the Nile River to the Egyptians was considered a god. So it was not uncommon during the beginning of flood season for reputable officials to come down to the Nile River and bathe in the Nile River. That was not uncommon at all. In fact, we have hieroglyphics today that prove that this was a common practice. But on this particular day, the royal princess of Egypt was bathing in the Nile River. Now, most the consensus is that this Pharaoh's daughter, this woman, was a woman by the name of Hatshepsut. Hatshepsut was, was one of the most forceful, imperial, powerful women who rose to power in the land of Egypt. And you can just imagine her bathing in, in the water and then this ark begins to flow down, coming right to her. She grabs the ark. She pulls it to her. She pulls the lid off. And the instant she pulls the lid off, the little baby inside begins to cry. Little tears flow down the cheeks of the little baby. And this woman felt compassion for this little baby. And this little baby melted your heart. Dad... You know what it's like the first time you hold your baby. Mom, you know what it's like the first time you hold your little child. Grandmom, granddad, you know what it's like the first time you hold that little grandbaby. It just melts your heart. Just you melt with compassion. Now, we don't know why the baby cried. Perhaps the baby was hungry. Perhaps it had gotten wet. Perhaps the sunlight scared it. Perhaps it was the strange hands that were picking up the baby. But whatever the reason, that baby cried. This woman felt compassion. And it was compassion uh, that, that changed the destiny of an empire, that changed the fate of the world. And she said, this is a Hebrew boy. Now, what should she have done? She should have thrown the baby back into the river. But what did she do? She was moved with compassion and looking at that baby, she said, I'm going to adopt this baby. I'm going to bring him into my home. I'm going to make him my son. Now, I want you to know that Jochebed did not leave baby Moses alone in the river. You see, he had an older sister named Miriam who from the time they put baby Moses into the ark and that ark began to float down the river, Miriam was there and Miriam was watching that ark and she was going down the shores of the Nile and she never took her eyes off of that ark. And as it floated down the river, she was there watching the ark, a sentinel watching to protect that child, to keep that child from harm at all times. No doubt. Your, has your heart, you ever see something, your heart goes down into your stomach? I can almost imagine how her heart dropped into her stomach and her stomach turned over and got upset when she saw Pharaoh's daughter pick up that little baby 
But then she heard the words. She heard Pharaoh's daughter said, hey, I'm going to adopt this baby, bring it into my home. It's going to be my own. And, and she had the presence of mind to make her nail, herself known and make a suggestion. And she said, lady, ma'am, listen, do you need a nurse for the baby? Pharaoh's daughter's holding the baby and said, well, that's right. This baby's not weaned yet. I'm going to need a nurse. And you can almost imagine her turning back to Miriam and saying, go and get a Hebrew slave to nurse this child. And I will pay her her wages. Isn't that amazing? When you put God in the driver's seat, he always has a plan. When you put God in the driver's seat, he all, He's always there to provide. He's always there to direct. He's always there to protect. He's always there to guide. That is what He's there to do. Miriam was there that day. Miriam was there that day watching over the baby. She was a sentinel to that baby. She was doing her best to protect that child. She was a watchful eye placed there by God to protect that child's life. And at the first opportunity she got, she was there ready to protect this little baby. Did you know there's another Miriam in the Bible that did the same thing? Did you know that if you take the name Miriam and you translate it from either Hebrew or Aramaic, they're both Miriam. If you take the Hebrew name Miriam and you translate it into Latin, you get the name Maria. If you take the name Maria and you translate it into English, you get the name Mary. You see, Mary, the mother of Jesus, they didn't call her Mary like we do. Her name was Miriam. She was another Miriam. Moses' sister was a picture of the mother of Jesus protecting that little baby. Miriam was a picture of the mother of Christ. So now... Jochebed is going to get paid to raise her own son. Man, God does stuff like that. He just makes me laugh when God does stuff like that. I see God do that today. I really think God has a sense of humor. I really do. Now listen, we don't know how long this princess kept uh, Jochebed as nurse over Moses. We know it had to be years I mean, after all, Isaac was five before he was weaned. But man, what important years in the development of a child. No doubt this godly woman drilled into this impressionable man, uh, this impressionable mind, truths of God. No doubt she taught him things that he would never forget his entire life. But we're still left with the question, what did she teach little baby Moses? What did she teach little toddler Moses? What did she teach little five and six-year-old Moses? Well, you don't have to look very far. All you have to do is read the first book of the Bible. All you have to do is read the book of Genesis. You see, because while dad was out with the taskmasters, which men sometimes, our bosses can feel like taskmasters. While dad was out with the taskmasters, mom was at home. Jochebed was at home with that little baby and taught that child. 
And what Jochebed taught that child would be amplified, confirmed, modified, and inspired by the Holy Spirit and made into the Word, into the word of God. She taught this little baby about creation. She taught this little baby about Cain and Abel. She taught this little baby about a man named Enoch and how he was taken. She talked to him about a man named Noah, how he found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and about a flood and an ark. She taught him about the Tower of Babel and all the languages. She taught him about Abraham and the covenant, about a city called Sodom and Gomorrah, about a man and a wife called Lot and his wife. She taught him about Ishmael and Isaac, about Esau and Jacob, the twelve patriarchs. And then... She taught him why the Hebrews were slaves in the first place. Taught him about the prophecy that one day they would be free. And you know what else? Above all else, she taught him about a man named Joseph. Joseph, who occupied the same royal courts that he would one day occupy. She told him about how Joseph was sold into slavery and that in spite of, in, of his impressionable youthful age, he stood against the impurity and immorality of Potiphar's wife. How he went to jail, but he rose up to be at the right hand of Pharaoh himself. And Jochebed's influence here is, is especially for sure. Listen, uh, uh, Moses uh, committed one-fourth of the book of Genesis to the story of Joseph. But one day, the word came, send me Moses. Moses left, uh, Moses left Jochebed's house. Moses went to the Egyptian palace. Moses went to the best Egyptian schools. He went to the best Egyptian universities. He learned everything there was to learn. He learned how to be a writer, which, by the way, would come in handy on a little mountain called Sinai. But through all the Egyptian teaching, through all the Egyptian indoctrination, through all the social training, through all the temptations of the palace, the power, the wealth, the possibility of ruling Egypt, Moses never forgot he was a Hebrew. He never forgot it. Mom and Dad, what are you teaching your kids today that they'll never forget? What are you teaching them? Are you directing them to the Lord? Are you constructing an ark around them so that when they get out in the world, they won't sink? Or are you just going to throw them out and say, sink or swim? You see, Moses was meant for something more. Moses was meant, was born to lead his people out of bondage. He was meant to function as a mediator between the people of God and God from Moses' birth to the exodus to the promised land. Moses' entire life was a picture of Christ's story. Where did it all start? It started with a mom and dad that looked at a Pharaoh and said, Not my kids. It started with a mom and dad that looked at a government and said, not my kids. What we need is we need moms, we need dads, we need grandmas, we need grandpas, we need aunts, we need uncles to say to this world, to say to the devil, not my kids. And that's what we need. 
And man, we got to take a stand. Man, I don't know if you know this, but our country's not in good shape. We're not doing so hot. You know what? The only hope we have is this, this generation that's training the next generation says, not my kids. And we need some Christians who are willing to take a stand. Are you going to take a stand today? You can make that decision.